This morning I'll be reading from Daniel chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the man who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he'd spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. And he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I've become because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. And I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days." for the vision is for the days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face towards the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, and I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord, for now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me? Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What is it that you want most? There's nothing like the season of Advent that brings out our waiting and our wanting. Some of you are waiting and wanting for presents underneath the Christmas tree. I'm looking at you children and some of you adults too. Others of you this Christmas season, you're waiting and wanting for family to be together again. It's been a long time since you've had everybody under one roof. Others of you want no part of that. And yes, some of us this season of Advent were waiting and wanting for God to bring joy in the midst of great sorrow. What are you waiting for? 
What is it that you want the most? The answer to that question reveals a lot about us. In fact, our waitings and our wantings hold sway over us. The things that we're waiting for, the things that we long for, even have the power to change the way that we live today. So what are you waiting for? What is it that you want? In the book of Daniel, the people of God were waiting, and they were wanting. They were in the middle of an exile, and they were waiting and wanting for God to send rescue. That God would step into their darkness, that their long exile would be over, and they were longing for God to send a Savior, Messiah. So God gave Daniel a vision, a vision of a rescuer, a vision of a savior who would not only come to rescue them from their exile from Babylon, but a savior who would come and will come again to rescue us from our exile once and for all. Advent teaches us to wait. And as we wait during the season of Advent, we look back at the first Advent to when God heard our prayers and sent Jesus to be born in a manger. But we also look forward to the last Advent when Jesus will come again. And this morning, what I want you to see is as we learn to wait during the season of Advent, we'll find that only the love of God can satisfy our deepest longings. So the first thing I want you to see this morning, I want you to know that Advent shows us that we are at war. We are at war. I want you to look with me at Daniel chapter 10, beginning in verse one. Daniel writes, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel. Now, as we get into it, I think I should mention that we are now in the fourth vision in the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel ends with four visions. This is the fourth and final vision. The last six chapters encompass these four visions, and this last vision actually takes up three whole chapters. So in January, we'll be looking at the last two chapters, chapters 11 and 12. This morning, we're focusing in on chapter 10 where God gives Daniel a vision of a man dressed in linen, whose face is like lightning, whose voice thunders with the sound of a multitude. And what you need to know is he's given this vision, it's the third year of Cyrus. We know that three years before, Cyrus conquered Babylon, and suddenly the long wait, the exile, 70 long years was over for the people of God. And under Cyrus' reign and rule, he allowed them to leave their exile and go back to Jerusalem. And so by the third year of his reign, the third year of Cyrus, the people of God had left Babylon. They'd returned to Jerusalem, and they'd begun to rebuild the temple. And so it's as God's people are enjoying freedom once again, as their hopes and longings have been fulfilled, it's in this moment that God gives Daniel a vision of an even greater rescue and an even greater savior 
who has come to save us from an even darker exile. We're told as the vision goes on that the word was revealed to Daniel, verse 1, and that the word was true, and it was a great conflict. The word conflict here in Hebrew is the same root word for war. In other words, what Daniel sees, this vision that he's given, is of a great battle, a great war. And what we see in the book of Daniel is war after war after war. Kingdoms rising and falling with king after king after king. Kingdom giving rise to kingdom to kingdom. This is what Daniel has seen, a great war, a great conflict. Philosopher G.W. Hegel once wrote that history is a slaughter bench. And that's exactly what we see in chapter 11. The slaughter bench of human history, of God's people warring after each other. Kingdoms, destroying kingdoms, people made in his image, killing one another, and that has been our history as human beings. War after war after war after war. Daniel chapter 11, we're given this summary of all of these kingdoms, the kingdom of Babylon, Persia, Greece, the kings of the north, kings of the south, all up leading up to Antiochus Epiphanes, we looked at in Daniel chapter eight. With each new king and new kingdom, people are destroyed and a new regime comes into power. And then suddenly at the end of Daniel 11, all of this history that's already been fulfilled suddenly changes. In fact, the first part of Daniel 11 is so accurate to history that liberal scholars point to this chapter to say, this is proof that this book cannot be trusted. It's entirely too accurate. There's no way it could have been written when it was written. But then in Daniel 11:36, suddenly everything changes. And the historical figure that we know to be Antiochus Epiphany suddenly becomes a forerunner, a prototype of an even greater, more dark and evil king to come. He is the Antichrist. Suddenly this vision that Daniel has seen that has already been fulfilled in history is now being given of the end. What's called the latter days. In the last chapters of the book of Daniel, Daniel is given a vision of the last advent, the final battle. Time when the Antichrist will come and bring evil with him to war against the people of God. And when God will send his son, Jesus Christ, to come again to defeat Satan and evil and sin once and for all. So what I want you to know this morning is that when Daniel says he saw a great conflict, he's not just talking about an earthly battle, but he's talking about a spiritual war. It's you and I, we live in a world that separates the sacred from the secular. A world where we, we are convinced that all that we can see, all that the reality that there is in the world today is what we can see in front of us. It's what's imminent. And we fail to realize that there is a transcendent battle that is being fought all around us.
And it's a war that's been going on for generations. We see this later in Daniel chapter 10. I want you to look with me at verse 13. We're told that the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. Now three figures are mentioned here in Daniel 10 verse 13. It's the one who's speaking to Daniel, the prince of the kingdom of Persia, and Michael, who we know to be an angel, who's called one of the chief princes. What I want you to notice is that Daniel's using the word prince and angel interchangeably. So here you have the one who's speaking to Daniel. You have the chief prince, Michael, the angel. And then you have the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now who is he? He's not an angel. He's a fallen angel. A prince of darkness. One who's come to assist an evil kingdom. We see the same language used later in verse 20. Then he said, do you know I have come to you? But now I'll go to return and fight the prince of Persia, and when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. So here's what I want you to understand. There is a heavenly battle being fought, and Daniel is seeing a glimpse of that heavenly war, a battle between good and evil, between the prince of darkness, the princes of Persia, the princes of Greece, and Michael the angel himself. And so you hear that and you say, that that sounds too fantastic. That's the stuff of make-believe and fairy tales, but this is exactly the kind of thing that the Apostle Paul described in Ephesians chapter six. I want you to listen to his words. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What is Paul saying? He's saying that all that we see around us is not all that there is. There is a great war being fought and we are living in the middle of it. And every once in a while, we get a glimpse of that heavenly battle. Some of you feel it more often than others. Every time spouses get into an argument that seems to recur over and over and over again. We get a glimpse of this heavenly battle that's being fought between good and evil. Every time you and I give in to temptation, every time we give in to sin and we embrace it for that moment, thinking that it will satisfy our weary souls, we are experiencing this battle that's being fought, not just around us, but inside of us as well. Every time that we experience sorrow and grief, with every cancer diagnosis, every sudden death, we are experiencing something of a war that we are caught in the middle of. We are at war. And though we feel it at times, more often than not, so often we try to dis- distract ourselves, don't we? And to pretend that it's not really happening. But the sobering reality that Advent teaches us is that we're at war. We feel it. And as the darkness creeps in, the second thing I want you to know is this, that Advent shows us 
that though we're at war, there's nothing to fear. There is nothing to fear. I want you to look with me. Daniel 10, verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth. I did not anoint myself at all. What we are seeing here is just as Daniel has been praying in chapter 9, he is still in prayer and he's fasting. Why is he praying? Why is he fasting? Because he's waiting and he's wanting for rescue. Daniel is in prayer and he's fasting so that God would send rescue, so that the Messiah would come. When is the last time that the coming of Jesus Christ was the focal point of your prayer? When is the last time that you cried out to God and said, come Lord Jesus, come back? This is what Daniel was praying for, not the return of Jesus, but for his coming, that God would send rescue. And just as we've seen before, it's as Daniel is praying that God answers his prayer with a vision. Look with me in verse five. Daniel says, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen, with a belt of fine gold around his waist, his body like barrel, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sounds of his words were like the sound of a multitude. Can you see the vision in your mind? I want you to use your imagination this morning. Picture the vision that God gave Daniel. A man dressed in white linen, the kind of robe that a priest would wear. Around his chest and waist is a gold belt, a gold sash. His face has the appearance of lightning. When he speaks, it's the sound of a multitude. Can you see him? Can you hear his thundering voice? Who is it that Daniel saw? Was it a man? Was it another king in a long line of kings who's come to conquer the next kingdom? Was it an angel? No. See, I believe God gave Daniel a vision of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who Paul tells us in the book of Colossians is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity who was there at creation, and he is here appearing to Daniel in all of his glory. And so what did Daniel do? In seeing this vision of the coming Christ, what did Daniel do? He fell down on his face in fear. See, the vision that God gave Daniel is very similar to the one that God gave John in the book of Revelation. I want you to hear it. This is Revelation 1, verse 12. John writes, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. 
His eyes were like the flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. Once again, John was given the same vision that Daniel was, the king of kings and lord of lords. What did John do when he saw that vision? He fell on his face as though he were dead. You see, when you truly comprehend the glory of Jesus and you behold his majesty, you cannot help but fall down on your face. And here's my question for you this morning. Is your Jesus like that? Is your vision of Jesus that big, that awesome, that majestic that it fills you with fear? Because this is what fear of the Lord looks like. That when you behold Jesus Christ in all his glory, you could not help but fall down on your face. But there's good news. Because one comes up to Daniel in this moment and he touches him. And this is what he says, verse 12, look with me. And he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your gods, your word has been heard and I have come because of your words. Did you hear it? Daniel has received this vision, this vision of Jesus Christ because God heard his prayer. And so he has nothing to fear. So here's my question for you. What are you afraid of? What are you really afraid of? You see, the things that we worship are the things we're afraid of. The things that we are afraid we might lose if they're taken away. The things that we want so bad to hold to ourselves and hoard and control. What is it that you are afraid of? You see, the truth is, outside of Jesus Christ, we should be very afraid because we are living in the midst of a war. But what I want you to see is that God sent a warrior to Daniel, a warrior named Jesus Christ who fights our every battle. I don't want you to know this morning is that he still hears our prayers, that he still comes to us because of our words. And one day, as we pray as God's people, and we cry out to him, come Lord Jesus, we have every hope that he's coming again. And so fear not, don't be afraid, Christ is coming. The third and final thing I want you to know this morning, that Advent shows us that we are greatly loved. I want you to look with me, verse 11. Again, Daniel in this state of fear and trembling awe before this image of Jesus Christ in all his glory. One comes and touches him and says to him, O Daniel, man greatly loved. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. Daniel, O man greatly loved loved. There's one thing that Advent shows us, 
It's that God loves us. And if you've ever felt unlovable, if you've ever doubted God's love for you, I want you to know that Advent proves God's love. I want to show you what I mean. Eugene Peterson was a Presbyterian pastor. He was a Bible scholar, an author, a poet. And when he died at his funeral, his son gave the eulogy. And he said that for almost 30 years of pastoral ministry, he had everyone fooled. That his dad really only had one sermon, one message. That really all of his books boiled down to the exact same thing. And it was the same message that his dad whispered into his ear when he snuck into his bedroom at night. This is the message. God loves you. God is on your side. He is coming after you. He is relentless. This is the story of the Bible, and it's the story of Advent, both the first Advent and the second. Daniel 10 verse 19, again, one who came to minister to Daniel said, O oh man, greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. I don't know what battles you are fighting today. Your reason for not having peace, the reasons why your heart this morning even now might be filled with anxiety. I don't know why you lack strength, but if you're like me, this season of Advent sometimes is exhausting, isn't it? And it exposes the darkest plates of our heart. And I want you to know in that moment, in that place, that is where God meets us with his love. You see, because outside of Jesus, we have everything to fear. But God sent a warrior to us. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. This great warrior whose face is like lightning and his voice thunders like a multitude stepped down into our flesh and was born in a manger. This warrior humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why? Because you are greatly loved. And this same warrior, we are told, one day will come back. This warrior, Jesus Christ, this King of kings and Lord of lords will come like a lamb who was slain, though standing with his robe dipped in blood. This warrior, Jesus Christ, will return and he will come like a bridegroom pursuing his bride. Last night, I officiated a wedding. And the passage that the couple chose for me to preach on was Revelation 19. I want you to listen to these words. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Last night, as those words were read, 
a bride and a groom stood right here. And as they exchanged vows, we all got a glimpse, an image, a vision of what that day will one day be like when Jesus Christ, our warrior, comes like a bridegroom, the faithful one pursuing a faithless bride. The reason why Advent proves that God loves us is because we have a bridegroom has been pursuing us from the very beginning. He was there when all things were made, when God created Adam and Eve and made the first marriage. He was there at a wedding in Cana. We turned water to wine, a picture of the joy that is to come and the great marriage supper of the Lamb. And he one day will come again. Jesus Christ, our King of kings and Lord of lords, in all his glory, as a faithful husband, rescuing a faithless bride. Jesus Christ has come, and he's coming again, because we are greatly loved. Isaac Watts, when he first wrote Joy to the World, he never intended it to be a Christmas song. You see, he wrote it to be an Advent song. A song not about the first Advent, but actually about the second. I want you to notice something about the lyrics to Joy to the World. It makes it unusual for a Christmas carol. There's no shepherds. There's no wise men. There's no manger there's no baby Jesus because every word anticipates and longs for the day when Christ comes again. But you see, we sing it at Christmas because the manger is really about the cross. And the cross is really about the resurrection and the resurrection is really about the return of Jesus. And so whatever battles you are facing today, I want you to know this, fear not. You are greatly loved. The Lord is come, and he's coming again. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you be with us now as we sing this final song? Would you fill our hearts with joy and help us to see that every longing of our heart is only satisfied with the love that you've given us in Christ Jesus? And so as we sing these words, would you lift our hearts to heaven and help us to long for the day that you, Jesus, will come again, we ask in your strong, glorious, and majestic name. Amen.